Hi, I'm Rebecca Schicker. I'm here to talk about all things Stephen. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting. It's so great to, to sit down with you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> so um, to start, let's just talk about, I guess, your, your background. I know we, we have something in common. We both kind of grew up pretty close to each other. You're from Silver Spring, Maryland. Mm -hmm. I'm from Bethesda, Maryland. Um, talk about your childhood and growing up and what were kind of the first moments that you remember where animation or storytelling kind of seeped into your life. So animation was always a really big part of my life. My dad was a really big fan of animation, and so growing up, he would always be watching classic cartoons with us. Mm -hmm. my, my grandparents on my dad's side had VHSs of old Popeye cartoons, Fleischer Superman, and my dad would have laser discs of the Looney Tunes that he would put on, uh, and but but everything. We had a also had a laser disc of NFB shorts of Canadian stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I had you know, animate a watch when I was young. So I knew from a very young age, uh, he also would have books around the house, um, like he had Chuck's, Chuck Jones's yeah. books. <laughs> so I would awesome. read, you know, Chuck Amok, like, as, soon as, as soon as I was old enough to, you know, pour through uh, that book. Yeah. Not uh -huh. that there's like an age cap on that book, but right. I really understand <laughs> it. Um, and books of uh, Disney history, so it was always around and I always understood. I, I don't think I ever thought that it wasn't drawing. Mm -hmm. Like I always understood that these were drawings. Right. Um, because he would, he would tell me and it was something I always wanted to be able to do. And when I was really young, they signed me up for a camp at the Children's Museum in DC, an okay. animation camp in the summer. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was a little kid. I'm not sure exactly how old I was, but I got to actually animate at this camp. Wow. Um, as a kid, so I really appreciated it even when I was young and I, and I wanted to know the names of everybody involved. I wanted to understand the difference between you know Chuck Jones cartoons and Fritz right. Frilling cartoons right. and, and Fleischer cartoons and you know why Canadian cartoons seemed so different and so that was really really exciting to me and I always wanted to do it. When I, when I was in high school uh, I wanted to, I was also getting into comics mm. And I really wanted to be a comic artist. I really wanted to be a, a cartoonist and an animator. And I went to this program called the Visual Arts Center mm -hmm. at Einstein High School. I, I went to Montgomery Blair High School and Einstein simultaneously and I, to go to the CAP program at Blair and the uh, VAC at Einstein. Which, I was down the street at Walter Johnson. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, I gave up. I was not a particularly popular high schooler, so it was fine <laughs> for me to just give up my lunch period where I would usually be alone listening to music and headphones anyway, and, and I would exactly. drive. Um, me and uh, my friend Robin, who was also doing the same thing, we would carpool from one school to the other so I could do the Visual Arts Center. Mm -hmm. And um, I would get in these very contentious fights with my teacher who uh, didn't consider the cartooning route as legitimate as the, as the painting fine art route. Uh, okay. um, although he did like certain classic comics, but not what I was doing. He, right. felt, he felt like I was doing something very derivative and, <laughs> um, and uninteresting. Which, uh, and he, w he wanted me to veer more towards painting. Mm. Um, so I would, and I did, I, I painted, but I, would, I refused to give up comics. Yeah. And I would be very, I, I tried to keep it alive in the center too because he would be dis sometimes discouraging other people from comics too and, and we would band together and, yeah. um, and then eventually they did a visual arts center comic which made me really really mad because <laughs> he had been so <laughs> against comics and now realizing everyone was doing comics they sort of co-opted those yeah. comics anyway I was an angry teenager I can imagine <laughs> um, but I, I wouldn't give it up and I wanted to go to school of visual arts because they uh, were almost like a more of a trade school than an art school like you yeah. just go in and start learning animation right away um, and that's all I wanted to do I didn't want the foundational year of charcoal drawing I just wanted to animate as soon as I could right uh, so I ended up getting into SVA and going um, and you went to college in New York yes yeah. uh, yes School of Visual Arts is is in New York City um, and that's interesting too because animation has roots in New York, has history in New York. The industry there is yeah. really small now um, for, for a lot of reasons. There's no union there, which makes things difficult too. Uh, but that's where, you know, Fleischer cartoons existed. There's, mm. a, you know, this history of also 
of Jewish animation in New York City. Yeah, yeah. That is really interesting to me. Uh, so it was exciting to be there and be in the city and also be animating immediately. And I met a lot of people right away in my first year freshman animation class that I would mm -hmm. work with forever. Ian was the TA of that class. Oh, wow. My, my now husband, Yeah, that's Ian. right. Congratulations, you guys recently um, got married. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Paul Vallecco, who storyboarded on the show uh, on Steven since the very beginning, through mm -hmm. the very end, uh, we were classmates. That's where we met, was that, yeah. first, um, that first year class at SVA. Um, and a lot of people came from SVA. Uh, Danny Hines, our original character designer, oh, wow. um, was Ian's year, uh, and they were friends at school. And Kat Morris, who's also been on the show since the very beginning, yeah. um, she was an, my upperclassman. Uh, so uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So we were all around each other. But uh, Ben Levin, who was one of the writers on the show uh, th through the whole original run who ended up creating Craig of the Creek with Matt Burnett. They were both at NYU, mm. but they had a teacher who was also my freshman animation class teacher uh, at, that, at NYU. And so my teacher in that first year class played Ben Levin's film for the class, which is called She, 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 She's a Bombshell. It was my favorite film. I really <laughs> loved it. And then later when it turned out that he was writing for, he was writing for Level Up, yeah. um, and I was looking for writers on Steven, um, I got really excited about working with him because I loved his film and we'd all had this same really uh, tough teacher. This, uh, his mm. name was Matt Sheridan. He was a really, really brutal teacher and, <laughs> and one of my favorites, but right at the beginning, he'd just tear into you. Like he'd have you do exposure sheets on the first day, wow. like, the, like the real um, not cute, yeah. you know, a difficult part of animation. Like boot camp. Yes. Yeah. And he, you know, he'd hold up a drawing and be like, you, do you want your mom to put this on the fridge? Like, what is this? You know, like, like stop trying to draw pretty, like, try, like just try and make something that works and things like that. Right. I, I really loved his class. So how did the journey come from, I mean, New York all the way out here? Did you get a job out here first and then moved out here? Or did you just decide I'm coming to Los Angeles and then try to find work? Um, no, I, so... I was in New York, I was trying to find work in New York, and I was interning, um, interns do a lot of, like, it's, yeah. there's no real rules there, so interns do a lot of free work. So I interned at World Leaders, uh, but I didn't get hired. I interned at Augenblick. A lot of my friends basically animated Super Jail while they were in college. So I wasn't on Super Jail, but I was at Augenblick um, for a little bit. But I couldn't land an actual job, so I was starting to get pretty nervous. I mm. just graduated, um, and it was, 2009, uh, so everyone was worried job-wise. It's a terrifying time. Like you're yeah. in a little bubble of school, and then I remember when I left film school, it's like, now what? Like, what, yeah. the, what the hell are we going to do? You know? um, yeah, so I, I ended up hearing about, I had seen the Adventure Time pilot, and I was hearing about it sort of ramping up into a show and that it had gone from Nickelodeon to Cartoon Network mm -hmm. um, and I knew I loosely knew the character designer Phil Renda on the show and he had come to speak at SVA because he was a graduate and he had see, he had sent me a nice note on the internet because of some dancer drawings I had done and then when he came to speak I, I went over and I gave him some of my comics I was still doing comics just, right. just printing them uh, independently and he seemed surprised he didn't realize that I was a student he, mm. he thought I was some someone working uh, and so I think he ended up bringing my comics I think they ended up at the studio here because I had given them to him and then I also kept in touch with him while I was working on my student film because he was you know a professional that I really looked up to right um, so then when they were testing for storyboards for Adventure Time, because they, uh, they needed new storyboarders, uh, he got in touch with me and sent me a test. So I did a test. I was in New York. I was in between jobs. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, I did this test. I sent it in. I didn't hear anything for a little bit. And I remember I went to the Small Press Expo. I would always go to, the, there's a con in Maryland. Did you ever go to the Small Press Expo? No, I, mean, I remember you mentioned it to me one time, but no, I mean, because I was, I was more kind of in filmmaking, I'm not fully in animation, so I, didn't, I right. wasn't really aware of the world when I was younger, but 
And I remember you say it was in, in Maryland? Yes, yes, it's in Rockville. And yeah. I would always go since I was, uh, I think, 15. Um, so I went to SPX and Penn was there. Oh, wow. And I, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I think I actually went up to him and asked, you know, oh, did, you, did you ever get my test? Which was pretty, pretty forward. I maybe shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but he sort of said yes. And I, th I think a little bit after that, I, I heard back that they were interested in hiring me as a revisionist. Mm. Um, not as a, a storyboard artist yet, but um, I'm glad that it was such a entry-level position because you really have to learn the yeah. ins and outs of storyboarding. I didn't really know storyboarding. I'd made films and I'd done comics, um, but the way storyboarding worked at Cartoon Network was not something that I had really been able to study, except for the fact that it's a very traditional way to do it, Right, right. which, which is, I, I suppose I had studied it in that I was reading those books about Chuck Jones, and I mean, really, the boarding that's happening here is so much like the boarding that was happening in, you know, the 30s and 40s. Absolutely, yeah. So I understood it, but I didn't think it was a job that still existed. Yeah. So I came out and when I was doing revisions, oh, my, my mom helped me move. I got a little apartment um, on Bethany Road and um, my, my brother actually still lives in the same complex because oh, really? <laughs> he moved out after me. Um, and. Revisions was great because I was just fixing boards to make them functional. So all the all the gaps in my knowledge, like just how many poses you'd need mm -hmm. to make something understandable to the team in South Korea, that was all getting, I was getting a crash course in that, uh, which was great. And then it, pretty shortly after, they asked if I wanted to be a writer storyboard artist. And, and it was a bit of a... Um, gamble because I was really new and no one was quite sure how things would turn out. So I just threw myself into it yeah. as hard as I could. And um, Was that nerve-wracking? Was that, like, were you scared or anything? Or did you just, like, you were so gung-ho about it, you're just like, I'm going to jump in the deep end? I was excited. Yeah. Um, after doing the test and realizing that, you know, the cartoonists were writing everything, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, it was a dream job to be able to write and to draw exactly what I meant and then yeah. right off the bat there was an episode with a song in it so I got to work on the song I, I wrote it was um it came to the it came from the nightosphere yes so, yes and so that was the first song I wrote for TV and at the time I had not imagined I would ever have to like pitch <laughs> singing so I really had to practice I at one point when I when I got <laughs> when I got promoted to border it it made a space in in the revisions team mm -hmm. and they were looking for a revisionist and I was like this artist that's really amazing his name's Ian Jones Cordy you should maybe think of him <laughs> for this spot and then they they brought Ian out to be revisionist wow um so he was there just as I was starting to board and we would go up on the roof and I would try to sing you know a song and then I'd just try to do it again louder and he'd be like just you know one more but just like a little bit louder and you know until I could be you know, loud enough to be audible, basically, <laughs> in the pitch. Um, Just building up confidence, essentially, right? Or, uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I was not used to... The pitching was the most... Uh, was the most difficult part. Dra drawing, drawing and writing yeah. was what I loved to do. Right, that comes naturally, kind um, of, yeah. Pitching it almost felt like extortion, like the... <laughs> like the the ideas are being, you know, held, and if, if you can't pitch it, then they'll all be killed. You know, <laughs> right. it's like it's like I had to, I would have to. I didn't really do voices, but I would have to make it clear that I believed in all these ideas. Yeah, yeah. And sell them so that they could exist. And as much as I didn't want to perform or do any sort of public speaking, uh, I had to. Yeah. In order to get it through. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tough skill to, to learn and to, necessary though. But, yeah. yeah. I didn't really have to pitch in college. You know, yeah. it would be your film, you'd just make it and then it would, you know, you'd, you'd do everything and then it would exist. You didn't have to convince <laughs> right. anyone it was a good idea because you <laughs> right. could just make it. Um, but the, the selling of ideas is a huge part of working here. So that was a real learning curve. And also uh, the first episode was really tumultuous and I did, I did a whole version of it where the whole thing got scrapped. We were in our third oh, wow. week and we were still redoing 
the, the, we had four weeks aboard. Now it's five, then it was four. And in, in the third week, we were still overhauling huge portions of it. So it was really, um, it was really dramatic, I mm -hmm. suppose. Uh, but it was my first episode, and I understand now that that's, that's not too uncommon, especially yeah, yeah. for somebody's first episode. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we just redid it and redid it. I, I had started writing the, the Nidosphere episode uh, that I had started pitching was more like a full musical with, you know, Lord of Evil singing and backup dancers <laughs> and all this right. stuff that, all this Broadway stuff that later I would do all, you know, a lot more in Steven. Of course, yeah. Um, and then Penn wanted to just pair it way, way down. All of that got scrapped and, and it was basically like if there's music in this, it should be this really intimate song between mm -hmm. Marceline and Finn. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought of things that way before, so he really introduced me to just going smaller and how much yeah. power the smallness of something could have. Absolutely. Um, and he sort of pitched an early version of the song, and then I, I just expanded on it for um, the Fry song. So it was great. It was such a huge learning experience and I learned to not be precious right mm. off the bat because yeah. all of my stuff was getting thrown out. <laughs> right. um, which I, I already understood because I had had the job of you know finishing loose thumbs that were all mm -hmm. for scenes that had already been overhauled like I was seeing yeah, it happen yeah. to other people's work so I knew that's just how it, how it went right. uh, especially early on. But, yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned about music and music is such a big part and we'll talk about of course music and Steven and everything but and you're a musician and songwriter and lyricist and and uh, when did that did that kind of come early on to your kind of fascination with music and stuff with as long alongside animation? Yeah, well, I mean, since I grew up with a lot of old cartoons and a lot of old cartoons are basically vehicles to sell songs, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, old Looney Tunes and the Silly Symphonies, the Betty Boop cartoons, yeah. you know, these things were built around music. Um, so animation and music were never not linked in my mind. Uh, I think the, the funny thing about doing this now is, you know, in the old days, they'd have a song that they wanted to spread and mm -hmm. they would build a cartoon around it and they would reinterpret it and, and then they, you know, Warner Brothers would, would have that song, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a record. Right. Uh, we didn't have that, so the only way to create that effect was to write original music, mm -hmm. um, which was not really for the purpose of um, sort of selling it at the time or anything. It, it's just in order to have it have that traditional cartoon feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's what I love about Steven is how music is part of the DNA of the show. And I, I mean, the first movie that my parents ever showed me, which I probably subconsciously would put me like really obsessed with music, was um, Fantasia. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just like. It's just images and there's no dialogue. It's just images and music. And a lot of the old Looney Tunes, you know, Silly Symphonies. That's why I grew up on like when Chip and Dale didn't talk, you know, there was right. no dialogue. So, yeah. I mean, was, <laughs> you know, before there could even be dialogue, people were playing music in the theater. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. Animation is that old. So um, it's, it's very inexorably linked. And I like, I like honoring that tradition. I, I think it's really incredible when all of those pieces combined. Absolutely. Yeah, it's magical. Yeah. Um, so kind of rewinding a little bit, going back, uh, talking about Steven now, you're, you know, you're here on Cartoon Network, you're working on Adventure Time. When did the seed for Steven come? What was like the first um, idea for Steven? Has it always been with you? And then you finally had the opportunity to pitch it? How did it kind of come to be? Well, uh, a little ways into Adventure Time, uh, people at the studio became aware of my writing and I think also my songwriting because mm -hmm. I started writing more and more songs. I think I wrote, ended up writing, I think 17 songs for the show. I think it's 19 now because I came back mm -hmm. to write two more. Um, so people were familiar with that. And so Curtis Lelash asked me to, if I, if I wanted to pitch an idea, uh, and I very much wanted to do that. Yeah. I, I had always dreamed of having my own show. And so I didn't have the Stephen idea really before I was asked, but the drawings of Stephen, I, I'd been drawing, Stephen's based on my brother, and right. I'd been drawing my brother since our childhood. I would always draw pictures of Stephen. Yeah. And I liked the thought of having everything revolve around that because we had always, we'd grown up drawing together. 
coming up with ideas and working with Stephen and doodling Stephen, these were all sort of blended in my mind. And so I wanted to make something that felt like our childhood watching stuff and drawing stuff together. Yeah, yeah. So I liked the thought of having him at the center of it. But one of my thoughts was, it's very, Stephen is very Zelda influenced, specifically Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, which we used to play together. But that character, like Link in those games, would always be Stephen because he'd be playing. <laughs> you know, I liked the thought of him actually being the central character because in a way he always was in right. his fantasy stories. Yeah. Uh, so I also understood after working on Adventure Time just how much of your life would become devoted to this cartoon, if it were to get picked up, that it may be something I would end up working on for for years and years, and, and it has been eight years. I know, it's almost so, a decade. So <laughs> I, I didn't want to um, build it off of something that I that I wouldn't continue to love right. indefinitely. So I knew that I would always, I had always enjoyed drawing my brother and would always like, you know, making something dedicated to that time mm -hmm. with him. So it felt like something I could commit to. So that's where I started, and then all of the fantasy elements of it, sci-fi elements of it, were all built around. It's a pastiche of the things that we used to enjoy and draw when we were younger. Yeah. So that was what I started with him, and then I, I went out from there, and each of the gems became a manifestation of some aspect of our relationship that we had with each other. So mm. me being sort of. Uh, able to be super free and casual around him, the, the ways that I would be sort of frustrated and overprotective and know it all around him, and yeah. also the sort of role model that I wanted to be for him, those each just got separated out into a character. Absolutely. And so when, you, when you're building that, I mean, is it, um, I think writing and creating anything is very, it's a vulnerable thing. I mean, you're, you're pulling stuff out of yourself and essentially putting it out there in the world. Did you find that as a vulnerable process at the beginning to be like, okay, I'm gonna have to dig deep and put myself on display? In a, way, in a way? Oh, yeah. Well, I always liked doing that in my work. I, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was personal. And, I, and from the beginning, uh, Penn, when we were on Adventure Time, Penn and Pat and Adam would really encourage us to be very personal in our mm. storytelling and, and to not hold back. And I found, just in a, just in a technical sense, I, ideas were more likely to get through if they were personal and raw and real. And, yeah. and if I did something phony, it would usually just get thrown out. So, right. so that was the way that I could get something through <laughs> on that show, which is a very, very rare yeah. situation. I, I was very surprised and I really had to dig not so much into my... Uh, when I wanted to go into animation, I wanted to make you know, commercial stuff. Mm. I, I was not... In my mind, there was independent comics where I was going to be able to really you know, dig deep and do yeah. something experimental. And then there was animation where I just wanted to make the kind of cartoons you would see on TV. Yeah, yeah. But on Adventure Time, I, I was not being asked to tap into that part. I was being asked to go the indie comics route and really dig deep. And I thought that was incredible. So I wanted to keep that alive. And Stephen, not just for myself, but also for my staff, like yeah. really, really say, you know, what, what do you want to say to like millions of people? Like, what, what would you want to put in this? Um, you know, how can we make something that's really authentic to us? Oh gosh, where where did I start with this? Um, <laughs> what was the question? Oh, just yeah, the, 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 oh, being vulnerable. Being and, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd 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 had a little bit of it on Adventure Time. I'd put some really personal stuff into that show, and I'd seen the ripples that it made, mm -hmm. and and I really felt seen in in a very shocking way when people would respond to some of the details that we were putting into that show, especially with Marceline as a character, who I was, I was given a lot of uh, room yeah. to put myself into, into her specifically, and, and that was really amazing. So I tried to do the same thing on Steven, and I tried to have a sort of a thick enough skin to be able to withstand. It's tough when you're misunderstood. Absolutely. It's sort yeah. of, once it started airing, I think it became more difficult. And I definitely understood. I remember seeing Penn say, you know, oh, I can't, I can't look at the internet. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. Yeah. And we would be why, like, why not? Don't you yeah. want to see, you know, <laughs> people are talking about it and it's so funny and look at this thing someone said, isn't it ridiculous? Right. Uh, but it, it really is different when it's your show. And I really started to feel 
um, I did start to feel very exposed. Mm -hmm. uh, people were writing very uh, personal, uninformed things about about me as a person. Yeah. Where I didn't, you know, know what to do, and I always had, um, as a as a teen artist on the internet, I learned very quickly to not engage. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was used to. Yeah. Once people would know, get get some sense of who I was. I was already very vulnerable in, on the internet um, to pretty pretty terrible yeah, comments. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but just like kind of going back uh, to the start of the series, when you and you were talking about you know having this vision of unfolding slowly, when you started the series, did you did it take a I guess did it take a while before you knew what the series was or where did you always have an idea of where you're going? Like oh I want to get to this place eventually, and did it take a, I guess it. You always see season one of shows feel very different than like you feel like they fit, hit their stride like season two and three. Is, yes. is that the same way in like animation? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I, I mean I think one thing I also understood from Adventure Time is that the crew really makes the show. Mm, yeah. That the show creator, you know, they're they're setting the tone, they're setting things in motion, they're approving everything, but that the people whose hands are on the stories, the people who can give it the most attention are the people that are writing and drawing it. Mm. Um, and so I honestly, at the very beginning, before we were staffed up, I actively tried not to tie things down too much. Mm. I had I had a lot of plans, even from the pilot. I had everybody's fusions. Like, <laughs> like I, had, I had doodles for characters that wouldn't show up until episodes after a hundred, you know, but yeah. the, and I had a point, but I didn't, have all of the details because I wanted to create that together. Um, so there were certain things that came, really pivotal things that came later as we discussed it as a group. I think one of the biggest ones was the idea that Amethyst came later, mm. uh, that she was from the kindergarten. The, we came up with the concept of kindergartens together as a team. Um, you know, I sort of had the characters in their dynamics, but we really filled out the lore. And this was still early on. This was still back in 2013 that yeah. we were doing all of this as a team. Um, but I wanted to make sure that we that we had created everything as a group, so that when we all split up and made these different parts of it, that it was that it was ours. Yeah. You know, that we all had a had a stake in making it be what it is, and and all were excited about how it was going to be doled out. Um, and all felt like we were inside of it too. I, I didn't want it to just be my childhood, but Stephen, I also wanted it to be Ian's childhood. Mm. You know, I wanted there to be elements of, of Jeff's childhood and Lamar's childhood and uh, Kat's childhood. Everybody, you know, should, should have a home in it is, is how I felt, especially because a lot of us loved animation, but didn't actually, and we all aspired to make it, but we hadn't really had shows that felt like the lives we'd experienced growing exactly, up. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, and some of that, I think, has been the most challenging part of making the show, uh, is talking not only about the wonderful things about our childhoods, but also some of the really uncomfortable realities that mm. many children face that just normally are not addressed. Yeah. Um, even though we're addressing it through metaphor, uh, there, there are a lot of children, I, I think there were a lot of things when I was young, uh, for example, really, really casual anti-Semitism that I would experience mm. when I was young. I there was nothing like that in the cartoons I was watching, not as a metaphor, not, not as a sur surface level, I mean, any, yeah. anything. Yeah. And it would, it would be really isolating, you, you'd think, and you, sometimes you don't have other kids to talk about it with either. Um, and certainly, as a queer kid, I had nothing to go yeah, on. Yeah. I had no idea that any of the things that I felt at the time were relatable, that anyone else was experiencing that. I didn't really get to learn that until I was 27 or 28, and people yeah. were watching the show and saying, I felt just like that. Uh, I, As a kid, I'd had no access to any sort of understanding that, that that could be a part of a childhood. Yeah, I mean, childhood is such a, no matter what race, gender, religion, I mean, uh, orientation, it just, it's a tough time. I mean, you're figuring yourself out, you feel alone, you, and you don't know what's really out there, and then you're seeing all these things and people reacting, and, and, and I'm so glad that Steven Universe exists because I think it's so important for, because I remember growing up, you just look for something else to validate what you're feeling, mm -hmm. and I think it's so important when you find that, and it's just like, oh, 
I'm not alone. Like, and it's like you, you don't feel comfortable talking to someone, but you just, just knowing somebody out there is experiencing it, I think, is so important. So. I, think, I think that's true, although I, do, I think that it does matter. I think all yeah. of those things do matter a lot. I think that there, when, you're, when you're a marginalized kid, and there's not a lot of content being made by mm. marginalized adults, yeah. uh, there's a very specific kind of isolation that you feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially with something as innocuous as cartoons, right. you know, yeah. that, that are just always in your living room and always in your house, uh, to, to, not, to feel connected to those, but also feeling like I, I was personally mm. an alien in a lot of ways, in the ways that I didn't connect with these things, or connecting with the wrong things, I think, right. especially as a kid because I always liked the wrong shows. I never liked any of the shows for little girls. Mm. Um, yeah, I always liked the shows that were aggressively marketed at little boys. Yeah. And I lived with an understanding that that was totally incorrect, uh, which, which was very confusing. And that was a big goal early on with Steven, was to make sure that when when kids were watching it, they never felt like it wasn't for them. Mm, yeah. Like it was like, there was never a signal that that said, if you're if you're this type of kid, this isn't technically for you. Even though the advertising still has has to categorize everything that way. Technically, the show uh, was designed or or is marketed towards six to eleven year old boys. Our demographic right. was six to eleven year old boys. That was the only group we were supposed to care about. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was interesting for me was that I liked shows for six to eleven year old boys. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to get to make the thing that I wanted. Yeah. But part of that, I wanted to also, as I was making that, say to the little me, you are also supposed to be watching this. Yeah. This is not not for you. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's for them, but that's because that's what you like. You know, that, that seems fair too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. There's a, in, in the conversation about, I think making more and more media for marginalized, marginalized youth and with, helmed by marginalized creators. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I noticed this a little bit in Spider-Verse 2, which I think is an absolutely oh, yeah. incredible movie. Beautiful, yeah. Uh, but, but then at the very end of the movie, there's a cap on it that says, you know, anyone can be Spider-Man. Mm. And I think that that's really funny because the thing that's important about Spider-Verse is that the main character is Miles Morales. It's yeah. not anyone, it's him. <laughs> right. So it's not a matter of, of making something that, that anybody can relate to, and which early on on Steve and I felt like I felt like that's what we were doing. I was like, you know, anyone can relate to Garnet. Anyone can relate yeah. to Amethyst. Anyone can relate to Pearl. Uh, you know, everyone in our demo will be able to relate to these characters. But what I realized is that as a kid, I had been trained to relate to everyone. But mm. a lot of people were, you know, when I was like, I, I want to be Batman. Right. You know, I could make that leap and be like, well, in a lot of ways, this character isn't me. <laughs> But I don't have a me, so I'll, yeah, you know, I yeah. like this, you know. But um, I think making Stephen, what I, I really slowly realized, um, not only is it, is it true that anyone can relate to these characters, but that I had not had the experience of, of just having someone who, who really, I could really put myself into in such a direct way. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, I think it's it's all a lot more complicated. It is. It's, it's, it's not black and white. There's, it's just yeah. there's so many variations and and but I mean that's the beauty. Of, that's why I love storytelling is because it comes from so many different people and different backgrounds and different paths. And it's like oh I can relate to what you're doing even though it's not my path or something. I mean it's it's. I mean that's why I, I fell in love with the the whole thing. That's why I got into film and music and all that. So I mean that's what why I'm sitting here with you. I guess in right. a sense we're all we're all here together. You know. I mean, a animation is so amazing because the way that you can relate to a drawing yeah. um, is, so, is so fascinating, and you have to put yourself into that mm. drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think, and that's one of the things that's exciting, I think, about Steven is that, you know, in, in animation, you, since you see a lot of the similar types of characters, you know, pe people are seeing those characters, putting themselves into those characters, but you're not given an opportunity to, to relate to a lot of the characters, right. the types of characters that we have in Steven Universe. Yeah. But you have to relate to an animated character when you see them, because they're not, they don't work unless you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're not real. They're not a real person. Yeah. Uh, so you have to look at their, at their face, at their eyes, and participate in the illusion that they're real. And the only way to do that is to fill 
in all of the gaps with yourself, basically. Yeah. But, uh, there's a thing about it in Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud that talks about sort of the level of detail and how the, the less you have, the more you're filling that in with your impulse to relate. Mm. So when you look at a wall socket and you see a face, mm. uh, you know, you, you are trying, your brain's trying to see people everywhere. It's, it's wired yeah. to empathize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the more specific it looks, the less you're putting yourself in and the more you're seeing it as someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, so a character like Finn is almost so blank a slate that you, it just becomes you right. in a lot of ways. Um, the characters in Steven are, are a little more specific, but also no one quite looks, you know, like Pearl. Like right. <laughs> you, you have to sort of uh, cross a cognitive bridge yeah. to see that face and understand it as a, as a face. And you don't realize your brain's doing that though, you kind of like, yeah. Right, you just, it's very natural because we really want to understand one another. Mm -hmm. When we see a face have an expression, we want to know what that means. So, you know, we're, we're very wired to do that. Yeah. And cartoons are just uh, completely pulling on that impulse and giving, giving you very abstract information yeah. uh, to fire those synapses with. It's, it's really interesting. Um, and they're, and they're, I mean, they're really symbols more. They're, they're not people, they're symbols. Yeah. So, I'm interested in sort of what we're saying semiotically and trying to trying to navigate that. Yeah, As a, and also what we're doing in terms of animation here at Cartoon Network, which is, again, I feel like, I guess, dying art, I guess, 2D animation, hand-drawn, everything. I mean, all feature films feel they're all CGI. It's very rare to find. It's usually an art house picture that will do something 2D or, you know, hand-drawn. What's your what's your take on it? Do you I mean, what is your take on I guess animation right now in twenty twenty versus when you were growing up and now it's like we're we're kind of holding on to this, you know, this last I don't know frontier of two D animation, but it's thriving though. I mean, it's 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 such an amazing thing that people I guess people me outside the demographic don't really pay attention to. But well, I used to be very concerned about the death of two D animation. Mm -hmm. well, you know, when I was in high school, I remember when. Treasure Planet was coming out and people were wondering, you know, is this going to do well is, or is this going to be the end of, of this as a medium and, um, and being worried about, I guess, 2D feature animation. Uh, I mean, so much 2D is still alive in television mm -hmm. and also what television is, is changing so much that it's so very much, yeah. uh, hard to say, but I, I feel certain at this point that it's you know, there's no way that 2D animation is going away yeah. as long as there are people that are, you know, committed to making it. But I think I've also changed from being a real uh, sort of purist and mm. Luddite about animation. I, I did my whole student film on paper with, you know, pen and ink. Like, mm -hmm. I really, and Adventure Time, we were boarding all of our boards on paper. Uh, but now that I've done this work all these years, I've really changed. I, I'm at the point where if something can function and tell a story, I, I am impressed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, there's a lot of anime coming out now that's, that's all digital, yeah, that, yeah. you know, that's all CG and, you know, cell shaded. And at first, you know, I was like, oh, you know, how, how could they? And I, now I'm just watching it, you know, it's fine. It's, it's like, yeah. it reads, it's clear. Um, I was watching a, a show called, um, Welcome to the ballroom, where they have the dancers in the foreground. They'll they'll draw them traditionally, but mm -hmm. then the background dancers will be CG. Mm, yeah, yeah. It just to f to fill out the room. And right. I mean, drawing someone spinning is really hard. And <laughs> I think you know, my my teenage self would be appalled. Yeah. But as a showrunner, I'm like, wow, that's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what a great Look what a that. great Look idea. How efficient it, that is. Yeah. <laughs> if it if it functions now, I really love it. And I think that you know. Again, with Spider-Verse, the, the way that technology is being used to create the effects of, of mediums, make something look like comics, you know, have predictive technology that is, you know, moving what reads as line work, even mm. though it's technically CG. Yeah. All of this I find to be very interesting solutions, and I really don't fear that hand-drawn animation will ever go away, but I think that I'm more excited than ever about all the all the possibilities um, and the ways that 
traditional looks can be reinterpreted and celebrated yeah, yeah. digitally, I, I think it's really exciting. Um, so I just like everything now. I've really, yeah. I've really uh, yeah, so mellowed out. Yeah. <laughs> you just embrace the change, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to kind of rewind back and kind of re refocus on Stephen uh, based on just, we were talking about music earlier. And so mu music is such a big part of Stephen Universe. The show, the movie, uh, what Stephen Universe future is. Um, was that always the plan? Was it always to have songs? And, and I mean, also your score too with your composer is fantastic. I mean, so great, mm -hmm. which is, I think, special on an 11 minute program like that. Um, talk like, was that always the idea from the start to make sure that music was kind of part of the show's DNA? Oh yeah, I mean, we wrote it into the story. Um, you know, Stephen, is, yeah, his dad is a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his, and his mother is a, it's Rose Quartz and all the right. ways that she's complicated, but um, part of the point of Stephen was always that he was getting a lot from his dad's side, uh, not just his musical talent, but also his compassion and his sensitivity, like mm -hmm. all that's coming from Greg. Uh, so we wanted that to be a part of who he is as a character. Yeah. And I always wanted there to be a musical theater component to the gems. When we originally did all of our auditions, everybody sang for the part. So wow. I, um, I wanted to make sure that even long bef before people would sing, that they would have, <laughs> you know, they would, I knew they would all eventually sing. So right. I wanted yeah. to make to, sure they could <laughs> to tee that up. And I wanted their ways of singing to complement each other. It was important to me that everyone was coming from wildly different mm. Ex like places and experiences and uh, on the crew but also on in the cast yeah yeah so to have uh, this core cast with uh, you know Dee Dee who's coming from musical theater who was in Wicked who uh, you know was Miss Saigon yeah and then Michaela who was a dinosaur on Barney <laughs> you know and then Estelle who's an international superstar <laughs> right. uh, I wanted the, the way that they interacted and complemented each other to be a part of the feeling of the show. I, and eventually you would find out, oh, these different types of gems would not usually be interacting in this way, yeah, yeah. Um, story-wise, but I wanted you to feel it from the very beginning that, mm. that you know, this was this sort of special situation where these people from these different backgrounds were together. Um, and that was really uh, ex exciting. And, and then also in terms of just the staff working on the show, um, I mean, we're all we're all very different from one another uh, in so many ways, but also I, I didn't want only a certain type of fan. Yeah. So you know, I would have people working on the show who were coming from from Canada, who were into Canadian animation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who were big anime fans. You know, who were like fans of, uh, you know, Schoolhouse Rock '70s <laughs> stuff. Uh, I wanted to find a, a way for the show to look. And feel that had that had a home for all of these things. So you know, if someone who liked Canadian stuff drew Pearl with all those signifiers, you know, with the, with the nose and with the hair, but but bent it in a way that could feel more like what they like, right. that there was room for that. Um, so that was yeah. I wanted to create a a home for for a lot of different schools of thought, and then we could all learn from each other too. Absolutely, yeah, and compliment each other. Um, but uh, talk about. I want to talk about meeting. Like, how did you find? Uh, you, know, you have two wonderful composers, Ivy and Sarashu, who just do an amazing job with the music on your show and the movie. Um, how did you discover them or meet them? And how did you bring them on board to this to, for this journey? <laughs> um, we we did tests for the music, and I had been introduced to their stuff by Jeff Liu, mm. who also writes a lot of music with me on the show. Uh, he sent me some of Ivy's uh, YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. um, and so we reached out to them and they did a test which really blew me away, just had such a, a warmth to it mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was like, it's got to be them. So, <laughs> so I started working with them and at the time it was really interesting because Ivy was in Oakland but Surashu was actually uh, in, like, in the Netherlands and we would Skype and it would be morning and it would be 10 at night, but it would be morning for him. Right. Um, and I, I may be getting where he, where he was exactly wrong. <laughs> this was like eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but we would all be 
sometimes when I would have to travel for work, like I would go to New York for a con or something, I'd mm -hmm. be Skyping, and we would just all, the three <laughs> of us would be in completely different, different time zones. <laughs> um, I remember I, I did a music Skype from, from Korea where it was really hard to figure out what time we could all <laughs> do it. Uh, but it was great. I mean, they're brilliant. So it's been great from the very beginning. And they're, and they're so amazing at taking demos from me that are so not figured out, mm -hmm. just, just really, really rough. And, and then just my thoughts about it and just translating that into such a developed piece that's so far beyond, you know, my wildest dreams. Yeah, yeah. And what, what you guys did for the movie was, I mean, fantastic. I mean, we can talk about the movie a little bit. And which you really embraced your, you know, as a, you know, old school musical. I mean, I mean, really throwing back to what the genre is and theater and everything. And, and um, talk about, I guess, what was the process of mapping the songs out? Did you, come, I mean, you, did you, did you figure out the arc of the story first and go, well, we need song for this moment or this moment or do you like I know where songs need to be for I mean well I guess what I'm jumbling yeah. but what's the process for that and yeah. mapping that out yeah yeah I had the idea um, I had the the rough idea and I had the songs right just like you're saying I, I had the songs on a sheet of paper which ended up being different in the final but mm. but I had like a rough draft of like you know, we'll start with this kind of song. I always wanted it to be a book opening like, yeah. since the very beginning <laughs> um, and start with the, the certain types of numbers. So I knew I, like, I want to start with one of these really indulgent, di indulgent Disney openings yeah. <laughs> um, and have that move to, you know, this more Steven Universe-y celebratory song. Mm -hmm. and, okay, um, so but it, um, <laughs> at the time I thought there were going to be 14 songs. Uh -huh. There ended up being 16. Uh, so, I you know I had the basic framework for the story. I had a I think a beat sheet that I had presented that was sort of approved but not really, which was mm. da dangerous to be working on the music. But I had to work on the music then because I had asked for uh, six weeks to to put post on hold so that I could just write the music um, and getting all of it done in six weeks was really scary. It usually takes me um, at least a week to write a song. So mm. writing 14 songs in six weeks was not oh something God. that I was used to doing. And, yeah. and then it, it became 16 later because when, when they started coming together, I realized that certain aspects were missing and mm. um, that we needed to cover, I, I think, you know, and, and I also have to write multiple drafts of a song usually to do it. So there were several versions that got thrown out in addition to the 16 mm -hmm. final songs. There's a song called Forever that got thrown out. It's an early version of a business song that's, that didn't exist. Um, so I had this list, you know, of, of the intro, the outro. I, I had the team. The other thing that was really scary during the movie is that we were finishing Change Your Mind, which means that the, our writer storyboard artists were all rolling off of the show. Right. And I needed to write this music before we could make the movie, and but I was my team was all leaving, so <laughs> yeah. I got us a place out in Topanga, and invited as many people who could come to come, and also the composers came down, uh, Ivy and Sarashu, and pitched them everything that I had so far, which was very rough, and then we just did this massive brainstorm over basically a day and a half, which got me. Um, closer to the final story, enough to really start thinking about what the music would be. And mm. having Stephen and Ivy there, uh, Ivy and Sarashi there from the very beginning was really helpful because we weren't just talking about the, the story beats we had to hit, but also the style of music that yeah, each song yeah. could be, and we were, they were pulling references. I like to have a bunch of references. Uh, but I hit the ground running with this list of the 14 uh, when the six weeks started. Uh, immediately went to see Estelle. We talked about this, the Garnet song that we were gonna do together. Uh, she helped me pull together uh, a plan for going to see Chance because mm. that's where I was going next. And she she said, you, can't, you know, you can't go there with nothing. So <laughs> we started coming up with uh, a true kind of love together. We made a really early draft of it, which just in her personal studio. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the next day I went to see Mike Kroll. Uh, 
I mean, every day I was going to see someone different. I went to see Mike Kroll. We talked about what we were going to do with his song, and he played me some uh, songs, instrumentals that he had written that I could potentially sort of adapt to one of them, mm. which, which ultimately we did. I flew to Chicago. I went to Chance's studio and worked on True Kind of Love, which completely changed once we were working on it together. Um, and we were also working with Macy Stewart. I flew back. I actually ended up going to Lake Tahoe with my family. Um, and I thought they had planned this trip earlier. And so I thought, well, I'll go, but I'll, I'll be working on, <laughs> you know, I'll just like find a spot in the woods or something right. to work on the music. But it ended up being extremely hard to <laughs> work. So escape, I, yeah, yeah I, I had a hard time getting <laughs> things done, although I did a lot of drawing there, because I was also drawing early, the early concepts for Spinell mm. while I was writing the music. And um, so the second I was done being with my family, I rented a little Airstream in Malibu to just go be completely alone, because I was like, everyone's yeah. got to please leave me alone, and, and just started recording everything that I, all the rough thoughts I'd had. And then Jeff Luke came out to Malibu with me, and we wrote Here We Are in the Future, uh, and at the same time I was writing isn't it love and recording tale of steven and recording drift away and then i sent drift away to amy mann and then when i got back from the airstream she actually came over to my house and we she had written the bridge for it already based on the demo i had sent and then we recorded the whole thing um, and then i flew to rhode island and i was working with ted leo and then i maybe i have this actually i think i have this wrong i think i went to rhode <laughs> island first and then i came back and met with amy mann um, but it was just a whirlwind and my adrenaline was just surging yeah, the whole yeah. time because I was, I mean, I knew from my own experience that I'd never been able to get songs done that fast. Right. So, um, the, the wildest one was, uh, I actually wrote, found, uh, in a dream. I didn't write it in a dream, but I, in, I had a dream where I was watching footage of it playing <laughs> wow. and then I woke up and I recorded it and and it's a chunk of it is, is pretty much exactly the same as, as what I had heard and the, and the weirdest thing is I've been trying to come up with a counterpoint for Let Us Adore You which I'd just been working on with Jeff Liu I was also back and forth to his house a lot and we took the song I'd heard in my dream played it over it and it and it functioned, which was just bizarre. But so I think I must have been trying to come up with a counterpoint <laughs> to the point that where I, I fell asleep. And um, but that's I mean I couldn't. It was invading everything. Like I, yeah. like I was working in my sleep. I was working when I was awake. <laughs> um, and then I finished. I, I think I finished fourteen in the time, but realized that there were two that I still needed. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't have um, Pearl's reboot auto song yet. I just had the instrumental for it. Um, but not the lyrics, and I didn't have change. I only had this really early concept for change. Um, so those two happened while we were boarding, and everything mm. else was done in, in advance. And I, and I would go up to Stephen and Ivy's too, to Ivy and Sarashi's, and uh, I did a lot of demos directly with them. I would bring the rough stuff that I recorded with Jeff Liu, I'd bring it up to them, and then we would refine it. It was just a mad dash. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I remember just from my perspective of, you know, for anyone's listening, I work at Cartoon Network Studios too, so, yeah. <laughs> but it, it just from production systems and overseeing everything, I'm just like, I mean, it kept me busy too, so, but it right. was, it was just fascinating. I mean, it was just seeing all the creativity pouring in that, that amount of time. I mean, yeah, the adrenaline's rushing, the deadlines are there, but, um, you know, I interview a lot of composers and I mean, some of their best work comes when they have literally no choice but to kind of go with the gut instinct and just kind of, you know, yes. dive in. <laughs> it was definitely like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I think it, it worked out. You know, once we we still had time to tweak lyrics and stuff while we were boarding, um, but it was great. I learned a lot. Um, I learned. I learned a lot. Yeah. So just kind of reflecting on it on it all. What would uh, you know? Right now we we're, we're in Steven Universe future, um, which is uh, the you know. 10 episodes are going to be premiering soon. At this point in, in the show's life, what would you tell season one Rebecca from, <laughs> is there any, what would you tell season one Rebecca who's just starting on this journey? <laughs> uh, I think I would just, I, there's a lot of things. But I think, I don't know if season one Rebecca would, would have listened to me. Really? Um, <laughs> you know, if I said the, the sort of basic, you trust yourself, don't be so hard on yourself, like, <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think maybe I would tell myself like that you're going to be able to make the whole thing because that was something that we didn't know and it was so there was so much anxiety over if we'd actually get to finish the story we were writing mm -hmm. because it, it had to unfold in a certain way and certain things got crunched and certain things certain things got stretched because of um, when I would be told you are getting more or you're not getting more mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I, it would have been nice to know that. That you would not be able to, like, don't worry, that, you'll, you'll finish it. That I, yeah, that we were going to be able to finish it. And we would, we would build in these trap doors in case we didn't have any, you know, Ocean Gem could mm. have been the last episode. And yeah. so we wrote it that way, change your mind. Uh, I actually, I asked for an additional six episodes on the end of that season because I, people were so sure that there would not be more mm. um, that I you know I was basically told to end it and I couldn't in that short amount of time like we right. needed we needed more uh, room but the rhythm of it you know you can you can you know feel us start to rocket toward the finish line mm -hmm. so uh, and then finding out you know, it was very uncertain if I'd get to make the movie, even while we were working on it, even while we were deep into it. Uh, I was be constantly being reminded of the very real possibility that it just wouldn't mm -hmm. wouldn't happen. Um, and I really care about these stories and these characters, and so uh, that it was a lot of un unnecessary. Pressure. If I could go back and pressure know, and stress like, and all yeah, that, yeah, like they'll make, you know, if <laughs> I could go to the start of the movie and say, you know, you'll get to, <laughs> you'll finish it. Like the schedule will be bizarre and ridiculous, but it, but you you will get to finish it and people will get to see it. Uh, it's it's rough to be working on something and not know if it'll ever see the light of day. Yeah, it's it's a, it, I mean, just the television landscape is it's so many different variables and depend. I mean, I, one of my favorite shows is Scrubs, and I always listen to Bill Lawrence speak about how. They thought, you know, but they switched networks and everything. He did the same thing with Cougar Town. Just like it's, you have this vision and everything. But I mean, I'm glad everything worked out because it's such a beautiful show, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm so glad it exists in the world. So thank you for bringing it, bringing it to us. Um, and just to kind of wrap things up, if you had any advice to someone sitting in their room right now, listening, wanting to venture into animation or filmmaking or you know writing, whatever, what kind of advice would you give somebody? Wow. Um, to uh, I would say start immediately, like don't wait for permission. Mm -hmm. At at any moment, especially now, I mean, you you could be a filmmaker with your phone. You can yeah. You can do storytelling. Uh, there's so many ways you can just sit down and start animating. Um, I feel like it helped me a lot to have done independent comics. I was able to explore a lot of ideas that way. That. Um, I would end up using in my later work and also it just gave me the experience of writing and drawing for characters and then having people read it and tell yeah. me what they didn't understand. Uh, I, I think it's impossible to get into this line of work and have what you're doing be the first time you're doing it. You, you need to have had some experience. Yeah. <laughs> so the sooner you can start just making stories and, and putting them out there, the better. I think. It's also a, let's see, how do, I, how do I put this? This is, personally, I really like it when I see a project change from start to finish, mm. when I see an art style develop, uh, when I see, you know, the, the writing and the, when I see the character's arc, but I also see the artist arc. Yeah, yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Uh, that's a, my personal feeling. I am not a fan of consistency to the point that it crushes personal mm. expression and personal yeah. growth. So I would say, personally, I would love to see anyone who's getting into any of these mediums feel the freedom to develop within their projects. Mm. Uh, when I start something, I want to be drawing differently and writing differently when I finish. Mm. And I. I wouldn't want to sacrifice that opportunity for consistency. Mm -hmm. Not everyone agrees with that, but I really strongly feel that 
an amazing piece of artwork has that experience trapped inside of it. Yeah, for sure. you somewhere else when you're done. So that would be my other piece of advice is to let, let yourself grow, even if it means that the last page of the comic or the last scene you shoot has a different quality than the first mm -hmm. one. Is, I think that that is really critical. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for sitting and chatting. This was so enlightening and fun and, and getting to hear your story. So appreciate sharing. Sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>